Hello and welcome to Instant Transmission, a podcast where we discuss everything Dragon Ball and whether or not Cell is a worse parent than Goku. Tonight on episode four, we'll be continuing our discussion of the Dragon Ball Super Series by jumping into the Golden Frieza saga. This is a continuation based off of our previous discussions from episodes one and two, where we chatted about the first saga in Super with the God of Destruction, Beerus. I'm your host, Dayton, and once again, I'm joined by my co-host, Todd. Hi! And one thing we want to quickly address is some confusion we've run into with which episodes belong to which saga. Wikipedia, shockingly, has different groupings of episodes depending on which page you're visiting. After tonight's episode, we'll be trying to use Kanzenshu. I said that right, right? Uh, Going forward. Okay. Uh, For better consistency. The three episodes we discussed at the end of podcast episode two are technically lumped into the saga, but those were more bridge-oriented episodes and shouldn't really affect our discussion of the Golden Frieza saga, which will take place over episodes 19 through 27. And real quick, I just wanted to give a shout out to the guys over at Konzenshu, Vegito EX, and the rest of the staff over there who have been archiving Dragon Ball media and information in some sort of capacity since 1998, which is absolutely crazy. So thanks to those guys for all their hard work. Be sure to check out their site where they have cataloged info about the Dragon Ball anime, manga, and game so thanks to you guys at consensu we appreciate all your work that really is a lot of work that's that's a lot of thankless work too so any shout out we can give to those guys i think we should absolutely and uh with that out of the way todd why don't you go ahead and get us started with episode 19 despair redux the return of the evil emperor frieza absolutely so we start off with uh this scene that shows us these fairies these stuffed animals all this stuff and eventually moves to what looks like this cocoon and we get this rotating camera view of frieza being held in this cocoon uh being basically tormented in what looks like the happiest place on earth or hell <laughs> uh, what did you think about this scene dayton you know it was Absolutely out there, bombastic, bombastic, over the top, ridiculous, and I absolutely loved it. Frieza was just absolutely livid with the whole thing, and it, it brought me joy because I love Frieza. I love Frieza being evil, and you could not have picked a better place for an evil person like Frieza. I agree. It's so great. So the very first time that I watched this, when it first aired on TV, I thought I was watching the wrong anime. (laughs) Like that first sequence, I was like, this is a Dragon Ball. What the hell is this? Yeah, they got like fairies flying around and toy animals. It's Did I click on the wrong episode? What's happening here? Yeah, I was just very confused. (laughs) Well, I think they, uh, after they show Frieza, it's a good point for them to transition into what Frieza's henchmen have been up to since Frieza has passed away. Absolutely. So we kind of get introduced here, which I think we saw a brief scene with these guys in one of the previous episodes, but we get a full introduction to Sorbet, Taguma, and Sasami, who are... Sorbet basically has taken over rule of Frieza's empire in his absence, and Taguma and Sasami are kind of like the the muscle, almost like your... Uh, your Dodorias for Frieza or something like that. The um, the elite warriors, basically, that's surrounding the, the, the commander. 
Exactly. And we hear uh, Sorbet talking about how, what a bad state the Frieza Empire is and the Frieza Army is and how people are just fighting back against the Empire and how they're losing men left and right. And so Sorbet comes up with the bright idea to find the Dragon Balls and resurrect their Emperor, Frieza. And with them trying to find the Dragon Balls, they were trying to locate different Namekians who might have Dragon Balls in different planets, and they're trying to track down any lead they could, but they kind of ran into a brick wall, and it, the conclusion they came to is that they might have to go to Earth in order to accomplish this, despite the dangers. Absolutely, and they mentioned that the the danger of going to Earth is that they know the Saiyans are there. They know Goku, who defeated Frieza, is there. And what they end up deciding on is that Sorbet and Taguma will go there trying to be discreet and collect the Dragon Balls uh, without being noticed. And... Which I do think that uh, they were... Well, actually, we'll jump to that in a second. But after they come to that conclusion, I believe it flips over to uh, Vegeta and Goku continuing their training uh, with Whis during a sparring session. Yeah, absolutely. There are a couple of little beats that I liked in here with um, Whis is basically telling Goku and Vegeta what their weaknesses are in their fighting. And one of them, so first he starts with Vegeta, uh, who is, you know, too uptight. Uh, he's thinking too much and it's it's keeping him from being able to move quickly and react quickly. And then he touches on Goku, who is the opposite of that, who is too, too loose, too um, willing to let his guard down. And I think Whis even calls him, uh, he says that he's too cocky in a fight. Yeah, he, he actually shows Goku this by landing a pretty quick, decisive blow in on his chest because Goku had dropped his guard. And that was Whis proving his point. And I like that this happened because these are both foreshadowing moments in the mm -hmm. series. So it's after a second watch through, I was like, oh, wow, this was already touched upon. And then they play on it later. So I really like them leaving the breadcrumbs pretty early here. I completely agree. I, that's actually one thing as we're going through Super again that I really like that they at least give these little moments of foreshadowing for stuff to come. They do a good job. And after rewatching it, they know what direction they want to go very early on. And even though after watching the movie, it feels like it moves at a snail's pace sometimes, but they know what direction they're going and they're constantly heading towards it, which is really nice. Right. I agree. One other quick note about that scene too, is that we also see when Goku and Vegeta are fighting Whis, that they are bad at fighting together. They're getting in each other's way. I think at one point Vegeta actively knocks Goku out of his way so that he can attack Whis on his own. Oh uh, yeah. I mean, you got to get in there and get a piece of Whis, you know? Exactly. And I think that'll also come up later, too, uh, not only in this arc, but also later in the show. It's it's great foreshadowing. This is actually I'm probably going to reveal a little bit too much early, but this is honestly one of my favorite episodes in the story arc. And it is the first episode in the story arc just because of how much relevant information they give you. They give you some sparring and training, which is a, a key pillar in Dragon Ball training to get stronger and working towards your goals. And we get that. We get good story. We get introduction of new characters, I guess, uh, with Frieza's army kind of showing where all the, I guess, some of the old characters stand now and introducing a few new ones. So it's 
it's really good storytelling. I really like everything they've done throughout this episode so far and what they continue to do with it. Yeah, I very much agree with you. Now, next, we kind of get on to who I know is your favorite part of Dragon Ball Super. Oh, yeah, never mind. This is the least favorite episode. I hate this episode. <laughs> the Pilaf Gang. Uh-huh, they're still here. <laughs> yes, so... And I kind of wanted to talk about this a little bit. Basically, what we end up having here is the Pilaf gang. They have a dragon radar. They've collected, I believe, all of the dragon balls at this point. And they are kind of used as a tool for Sorbet and Taguma to get their hands on the dragon balls. And yeah, I believe even when they show up, uh, the Pilaf crew, they're basically being bullied off of their bounty. They've collected all seven of them. and then the Frieza's army shows up or the two of them anyway. Um, and they let them know, Hey, we'll, we'll let you live. If you give us the dragon balls, mostly because we might need them again. And we know you can find them. Absolutely. And, uh, a quick note about that too, that interaction that will be important later is that we see Sorbet with this ring, this laser gun ring, that he blasts past them as a threat that basically blows a big chunk out of the stone wall behind them. Uh, I actually didn't even, I didn't even think about that. That's a nice little catch there. Cause that's more foreshadowing. Exactly. Uh, Dragon Ball super for, for the problems that it has, it does some really good foreshadowing. And I like that a lot. It's really good. It's if you pay attention to the details, it's definitely worth it. You'll catch a lot of things, which is really cool. Yeah, absolutely. So we basically get this exchange between the Pilaf gang and uh, Sorbet and Taguma. They they do end up summoning Shenron, and we we get a, a few brief scenes of Piccolo and Gohan kind of sensing something off, and then also seeing the black sky that we always get with Shenron being summoned. Uh, but they they kind of brush it off. Um, and then... it seemed like it was a very brief event too. It was something where they sense it, you get the dark sky, and then it's gone. There was no real time to react. There wasn't like a big explosion or anything they had to run towards. It was, I mean, even Gohan didn't sense it at the very start. Piccolo barely picked up on it. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. So they, they re- like you said, they really didn't have much time to respond to this or even really have much of an idea of what's going on. Um, but basically we get... Shenron is summoned. Uh, Sorbet wishes for Frieza to be brought back. Now, this part to me was was both interesting and a little bit weird. So Shenron basically states that Frieza was chopped up and blown to pieces and that bringing him back to life in that body, I mean, it's not going to be useful, right? If they just bring back these pieces of Frieza, it's not going to be useful. Right. However... I feel like this is kind of a departure from all of the resurrections that we've had in Dragon Ball prior to this. Okay, I was going to bring up the same thing because there's been a few characters that have been exploded or, I don't know, on exploded planets, and they were able to be brought back for whatever reason. I mean, let's talk about Krillin. Let's talk about um, Chaozu. Uh, yeah. I mean, multiple multiple characters who have been blown up, who were you know just brought back in their normal body. So this is a little bit weird to me. It's it's kind of a fun little thing where they had to pick up all the pieces of Frieza and then they have to put him back into the healing pod to you know get him back into his full body. But why? Why? Why do they change how the resurrections work? That's strange to me. It is really strange because when Shenron mentioned that. 
the first thing I thought of was, all right, well, who's been resurrected before? Right. Okay, so why now? What's changed since then? If anything, Shenron's gotten stronger since he's resurrected other other characters. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. With Dende, as we see in this sequence, Shenron can grant three wishes. So the other two wishes that end up coming through here are we get my wishing for the best ice cream in the world and we get good wish yeah and and then we get uh the wish for one million zenny um hold your pinky up to your mouth when you say that one million (laughs) zenny (laughs) yeah so there were three wishes that were able to be granted frieza gets brought back in puzzle form and then there's kind of a couple other quote-unquote wasted wishes so i I don't know why we had to go through all of this. I but at the same time we get to eventually get to the conclusion we want to where Frieza is back in the living world. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, those wishes kind of feel like a throwback to some of the old Dragon Ball stuff where like Oolong wished for panties and just goofy stuff like that. And I I think they're also partly doing this because we get Sorbet contemplating resurrecting King Cold. Uh and so they kind of use the Pilaf gang as a tool so that they don't have to deal with bringing back King Cold, which is interesting. I mean, actually, there's a comment I want to make about that, but I can't make that comment until we get into the next episode. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we'll definitely talk about that in the next episode then. Uh, let's see. I'm thinking for the most part... Okay, so the very tail end of the episode, we basically get Frieza's parts are put into the healing tank, which is drastically improved from the healing tanks of the Frieza saga. Yeah, Frieza was basically brought back from just a few pieces and scraps and just completely regenerated, which kind of blew my mind. Yeah, and and I mean to on top of that, the pieces that were brought back were basically Mecha Frieza, the Frieza with all these mechanical pieces, and then he's basically regenerated without all of the mech parts or robot parts that were on him previously. So that's also super interesting. I mean, I guess with when you look at characters like Cell, I guess that sort of regeneration capability does exist in the universe. So it's not it's not anything new, but it is new to see that happening through technology, just pure technology. Right. Absolutely. And I mean, it has been, gosh, since the Frieza saga, I think I was trying to figure out it's been about 15 years. So they've had about 15 years to improve this technology. Is that in universe time? In universe time, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, which, you know, is, isn't a ton, but they already have a lot of really crazy technology, too. So I'll but, buy it. Uh, yeah, it's... I mean, my thing is, is we could have... I feel like they could have just wished Frieza back, and then that could have been the end of it. But they had to go through this weird side road to get there for what felt like absolutely no reason at all. Yeah, I agree. I mean, even if they wanted to do it that way, when I was thinking about it, too, they could have even used one of the other wishes. They could have been like resurrect frieza all right you know give him his old body back or you know give us a free a body to put frieza's soul in or something like that yeah there were so many i guess more direct outlets that they could have done this with but they chose uh the i don't know the the frieza puzzle and the the vat tube or whatever so we got there frieza's back up and in fighting form and pissed off and looking to settle a score absolutely and i think for the most part, did you have that brings us to the end of the episode? Did you have anything else to say about that episode, Dayton? It sounded like you liked that one. I did like that episode. It wasn't 
I'm not going to say it's my favorite episode in Super, but as far as episodes in Super, it's filled with information, plot movement. There's a little bit of sparring and training, which I like. I don't have a lot of, uh, bad to say about it. It's it's overall a really good episode. I agree. I, I think it has a really good mixture. It, it feels very relevant. There's not a ton of fluff in there. Uh, so, yeah, for the most part, we both like that episode, which then takes us on to episode 20, which is... Jocko's Warning. Frieza and his 1,000 troops approach, which pretty much tells you what the episode is about. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes they give you a little too much info in those titles, but <laughs> hit, uh, hit the nail right on the head. <laughs> but we we start out here in the scene of Frieza getting just breaking out of the healing chamber, um, kind of destroying some of his own equipment and even part of his own ship. Uh, uh, admittedly, most people leave healing chambers that way, from what I've seen in this show. So yeah, that's very normal. <laughs> I mean, let's talk about Vegeta, Goku, Frieza. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's just how you leave them. I don't think there's another way. Nope. They just have to be exploded. They've served their purpose. <laughs> but yeah, Frieza is revived and explodes out of the tank and tells everybody that the number one thing Frieza is worried about is getting revenge on that monkey. Yeah. And his subordinates aren't a big fan of this. Uh, but I mean, we all know Frieza well enough to know that he's not going to let uh, his, <laughs> funny enough, his pride be wounded by a Saiyan. I believe one of the naysayers, uh, Frieza, shoots out his legs and tells him to crawl around the ship like a worm. Yeah, and I wanted to talk about that too because I really like... I mean, we get, we've get we gotten a ton of time with Frieza in the past, but I really like that they go above and beyond to show how evil Frieza is in this scene. There's even earlier, I think in the first episode, Sorbet is talking about how Frieza will praise him for all of the good work that Sorbet has done. And in this scene, Frieza is just like, I don't even know who you are, Sorbet, or <laughs> and I think insults Sorbet for you know running his empire into the ground. Yeah, Frieza was making comments about how weak the fighting force probably is and what a terrible job everyone was probably doing and how they're probably losing and all. Basically described the situation that they were actually in that Sorbet didn't want to admit to. He was like, everything's fine. Like, it's not that bad, Frieza, when r really it was. Yeah, it was pretty bad. But this this is some uh, great interaction between Frieza and Taguma and Sorbet. Um, and then I think we kind of move on from there as Frieza's talking about getting his revenge and doing some training for the first time. Which uh, that is something I do want to briefly touch on, is that yeah. Frieza apparently has never trained a day in his life. It's an interesting way to give Frieza an outlet to increase his power drastically, I guess, right? Um, I think we'll, we'll find out here shortly, but I think he ends up training for about four months and goes from being the level of a super Saiyan to the level of what Goku gets to, you know, in this arc, which we'll find here shortly. All I know is that whatever race Frieza is sounds horrifying that they're just, you know, I sit on my couch eating potato chips and I'm super Saiyan power level. That that's pretty nice. Yeah. Yeah, it's nice to be genetically gifted, I guess. <laughs> yeah, won the lottery on that one. Yeah, exactly. So we get a long exchange there, and it moves on over to Goku and Vegeta uh, training with Whis some more. Uh, there's 
a couple little things that I wanted to talk about in this sequence. Uh, one of them being there's a little flicker of the aura of the Super Saiyan Blue transformation in here. There is, and I believe it. the first one happens in a moment where Vegeta and Goku are sparring, and they punch fists like you do. And in that one colliding impact point, you see that blue energy start to emanate out. Yeah, and I, again, more foreshadowing. I, I like that they're doing stuff like that a lot. Uh, and we we eventually get Whis and Beerus are talking here. Some of this is not really that important. It's more characterization for Beerus. But there's one more thing where Beerus destroys a moon, and Whis says something about, "Well, it's just a moon. We don't have to. We don't need a do over for that." Yes, and this is a a very important line and moment that I actually had overlooked the first time I watched through it. Yeah, which I, I think is easy to overlook, right? You're like, oh, I don't know what that means, whatever. Yeah. Um, but again, more really good foreshadowing. This is going to be really important towards the, I think, the second to last or last episode. Um, and then kind of moving on from there, we get... So I want to hear your take on this. So about the middle of the episode, we get introduced to Jocko. Uh, Jocko's an alien with the galactic patrol basically like a space policeman okay yeah i i I got a question it feels like i should know this guy but i don't (laughs) and i don't know where he's from him and balma apparently know each other and they're talking all chummy and i'm sitting here the whole time thinking where the hell did you come from (laughs) that's exactly why i wanted to get your interpretation on this because so jocko is introduced in a manga special which takes place decades before even probably a decade before even the start of Dragon Ball. Oh, um, wow. Where, where Jocko comes to Earth and he meets Balma's sister, Tights. And uh, they they have this whole exchange where uh, Tights helps Jocko fix his spaceship because Jocko gets stranded on Earth. Now, I've read that manga, I, and I think it's great. It's got some really good information about it. Uh, Jocko meets Balma in there, and Balma's something like five or six years old, and she's okay. already basically a genius. Uh, she's playing with, like, ray guns and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah I can relate. Um, yeah, you know, like you do. <laughs> but uh, for somebody who has not read that manga, this scene to me feels like it just comes out of nowhere. <laughs> It really does. I just kind of take this character and put it in like the, I guess the peel-off category of just you're a goofy side character and you're going to be goofing around. So I'll just, I'll take it as it comes and then probably ignore you most of the rest of the time. I don't, I don't, I don't know how to treat him. I don't know. I mean, he explains that he's part of some Space Force Federation of Defense and he's this Grand Patrol officer or something. And he does Ginyu Force S kind of poses and stuff (laughs) like that. And I'm just... Like it, it's just, it's goofing. It's real goofy, and I'm just, I don't know what to do with it. It's kind of funny, I guess, but I also don't know who you are. I feel like everybody but me was introduced to this character, and I'm kind of sitting here not saying anything because I don't want to be the odd man out. <laughs> I mean, honestly, it it's really weird to me that they did it this way. I feel like anyone who just watches the anime is going to be very confused about Jocko, why he knows Balma, and why he's even being introduced right now. It, it just feels super strange. And I think even the manga, the manga, like if you just read the straight Dragon Ball manga, you won't run into this. This is like a, a side special, like a side oh, shoot. It's the Christmas special. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it just feels weird that they did it this way. I, I like Jocko, honestly, but I've also read that manga, and so I know a little bit more about him. Um, so yeah, I I wanted to hear your take on that. It's it's a real weird way to introduce him. Yeah, I mean he doesn't he doesn't annoy me like the peel off game because it doesn't feel like he's getting in the way of me watching stuff. There's a lot less forced Jocko time, so I don't mind him as much. He's not yeah. he's not distracting me very much. He's just kind of there and being goofy and just being kind of I guess one of the mortals watching gods do battle at this point. And I I guess I don't mind it. Yeah, and that's fair. I mean, really, the important part here is that Jocko is being used as a narrative tool to let people on Earth know that Frieza is coming to the Earth. And I think the his connection with Balma is kind of how we get that information to our, our main characters. This once again feels like one of those things that there was a more elegant way of doing it, but instead <laughs> they went with the space alien patrol officer. Yeah, yeah, I I could agree with you there. Uh, it feels a little bit, I don't know, a little bit just forced. Have King Kai detect Frieza and send a message or something. That that happens all the time, doesn't it? That's a good point. King Kai would have been a good way to deliver that message. I'm not sure why they felt the need to bring Jocko into this. He does play a bigger role later in the manga, but it's just a weird way to bring him in. Like I said, I don't. It didn't add anything for me, but it didn't really subtract too much. So I just kind of I Dragon Ball also has goofy characters all the time. So it didn't really surprise me that there's a goofy space alien that knows Balma. Yeah, absolutely. But beyond that, we basically go into there is a brief little scene that I wanted to touch on real quick where uh, we get to see Krillin and 18 where Balma calls Krillin to let him know that Frieza is coming to the planet. And uh, I just, I, I like the exchange between Krillin and 18 here. Krillin basically says he's going to go confront Frieza with the rest of the Z fighters. And 18 says that she should go because she's stronger. And then Krillin tells her somebody has to watch Marin. Um, so 18 shaves Krillin's head at his request to be back in fighting form. Yeah. Bald man's back, baby. All right. And then as Krillin is flying away to go fight Frieza and his forces, 18 has a comment of, he's so cool. And I, I just love this. I love 18 and Krillin's relationship. It's so much fun to me. It is really fun. And I love it because, you know, Krillin cares about his family more than anything. And, you know, in his head, he's just like, yeah, you're probably stronger than me. But if anything happened to you, I... I I couldn't live in this world anymore. So like you guys stay here. I don't care what happens to me. I just care that you two are safe. And I love that. That is very Krillin. Very, I'm going to get in over my head to do what I can for my friends. I absolutely love that scene. Yeah, absolutely. It's really good. I also just love the fact that despite the fact that 18 is worlds above Krillin in power, she's always like, ah, oh, he's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> he is she though. He is. Him. He is. he is. I love Krillin. <laughs> <laughs> no, I do love their relationship. And I love how this series touches on that with everyone and their significant other every now and then just to kind of stop in and be like, yeah, these, you know, these people care about each other. Just remember that. Absolutely. Toriyama's not the best at writing female characters, and sometimes they get sidelined. But every once in a while, he's got this nice little gold nugget in there about relationships. I love it. I love 18. Love Krillin. Love that whole thing. Me too. So that 
brings us pretty close to the end of the episode. We start to see the Z fighters kind of rallying together. We get Master Roshi, Tien, and let's see, we get Gohan and Piccolo. And then we get to see Frieza and some of his forces as they land on Earth with their ship. And that wraps us up. Did you have any other thoughts on this episode? My thoughts are pretty... I, I guess the, the episode is... It's not bad. It's not great. It's it's an episode that's leading up to the main event, basically. And it's kind of the crew getting together and them talking about the... I guess the drama that's about to unfold and it did its job. It was an adequate episode. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of agree. There's not a lot going on here, but it's also, there's not a lot of dragging either. There's some important character moments, I think. Yeah. It's not the best, not the worst. I don't mind this episode. Right. I agree. So that brings us to episode 21, which is the revenge begins. The Frieza army's malice strikes Gohan. All right, so we basically start out where we left in the last episode with uh, the Z fighters kind of confronting Frieza and his army as they emerge from the ship. And it's like a swarm of bees just coming out of a hive. There are so many of them. That's a perfect way to describe it. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, we... I mean, we see a ton of them. We get... I did make a note in here that... uh, (laughs) Boo is sleeping for this encounter, which I'm not a big fan of that. But Which makes me sad because I believe in an episode or two prior when Frieza woke up, Frieza mentions that Father warned him to avoid two beings in the universe, one being Beerus and the other one being Boo. And I would yep. have loved Boo to show up and just see what happened, you know? I completely agree. Uh, that would have been super interesting. But uh, occasionally Dragon Ball finds excuses to sideline characters that they just don't want to deal with. Which is No, he's too sleepy. He can't go fight. Yeah. And we're going to see that that ends up becoming a common theme in Dragon Ball Super, which is unfortunate. Because <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know what it is about watching Boo fight things, but it just it brings me such joy. Yeah. He's, he's just interesting. He's got funny moves. But... Uh, <laughs> Without Boo in the fight here, we basically get some interactions with Frieza and Balma. Um, Balma kind of being rude to Frieza until she finds out that Frieza is now stronger than Gohan. Yes, a lot stronger than Gohan. Yeah, uh, by Gohan's own admission. But Frieza kind of takes a back seat uh, as his henchmen all attack the Z fighters. Um, we, we get a few scenes of... Z fighters just kind of beating up on the henchmen. And I think uh, this is where we get Krillin being afraid to fight in this moment. What did you yeah. think about that? He's almost like freezing up. He's having terrible flashbacks of Namek when he fought Frieza the first time. And, you know, he did die there. He should probably be feeling some level of emotion. But yeah, it's and Krillin's been afraid in a lot of situations, but he usually kind of, you know, bites his lip and grits his teeth and pushes himself into the battle. This is one of the first times where I think he's absolutely frozen. And even with his friends kind of getting swarmed and beaten up, he can't get himself to move. Yeah. Which, which is interesting. And they've already in Dragon Ball super, they've made it a point to kind of get at the fact that Krillin is not really a fighter anymore. Uh, He's retired, right? Yeah, exactly. He's become a policeman. He's just 
working a normal job, taking care of his family. Um, and that, so they're, they're kind of trying to push that home here. And yeah, I, I completely agree with you, Dayton, that, I mean, if I got blown up by a guy and he came back to earth to, you know, murder me and my friends, I'd be pretty terrified. Oh yeah. And it wasn't like it was just freeze up. Uh, the Ginyu force were beating Gohan and Krillin around. So yeah. it was Frieza's henchmen that actually did a lot of work and damage against, uh, the whole Z crew while they were waiting for Goku to show up. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a good point. Um, we we eventually see, I think we see a couple of the Z fighters save Krillin. Eventually, the uh, the henchmen of Frieza, they isolate Krillin and start to attack him, and Krillin ends up defending himself almost without even really thinking about it. Um, yeah, his but, body's starting to kind of move on its own, and he's he's dodging these attacks without even thinking about it. And that's when Master Roshi kind of notices and looks over and yells at Krillin, Hey! It's been a long time since Namek, and you've had a front row seat to some of the biggest battles and watching some of the strongest warriors fight each other. You're a lot stronger than you think you are. Kind of giving him the courage to actually push through and start doing what he needs to do. Yeah, I liked that exchange a lot, especially with Master Roshi. I mean, he trained Krillin and Goku. He worked with them for years, so I, I thought that was a really fun exchange. And I think it's also important that that line happened because I think it's easy to forget how strong Krillin really is. If you remove the, I guess, the, the Saiyan highest echelon of fighters, Krillin's right up there with one of the strongest fighters around. It's just he gets overshadowed so often you'd almost forget it. I mean, he's he's probably one of the strongest humans or even probably one of the strongest just beings on Earth in general. Yeah, and it was nice seeing him kind of realize that and actually start taking his the battle into his own hands and really starting to have some confidence in himself. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And we even get to see him use his scatter shot or scatter bullet attack. Um, we get to see Master Roshi with the Kamehameha uh, I think TM with a tri beam, and then Gohan for whatever reason just throws like a bunch of key blasts. Uh, which there are a few scenes in here where the animation is just really lacking, and even a couple scenes like Gohan shooting key blasts that just gets recycled a couple of times. <laughs> yeah, I did notice that too. It, it it made me chuckle. Yeah, it was a little bit of a bummer, but you know what can you do? Yeah, um, and this is this is I think just kind of an appetizer episode anyway. So I kind of I expected the animation quality to not be as top notch as I would expect in I guess a a highlight episode or an episode where probably whenever Goku shows up to fight Frieza, that's where <laughs> I know the money's going there. So I expect it. Yeah, yeah, that's a fair point. <laughs> it's the truth. Um, no, I I agree. But we get past some of that. I think Sasami basically jumps into the fight uh, and he fights Gohan very briefly, at which point he puts Gohan into a bear hug and then Tagoma puts a hole through both Sasami and Gohan. Uh, we basically get Gohan getting resurrected with a sensu bean and then we get a quick sequence of showing how Taguma was Frieza's punching bag for the past four months and was basically tortured more or less to an inch within an inch of his life and then, you know, healed and tortured again. I actually love that dynamic that he was just used as Frieza's just punching bag for four months and just him getting just beat to death basically over and over again toughened him up and turned him into a very strong fighter i thought that was really cool 
Yeah, I like that a lot too. You can also tell, I mean, just in these few episodes that we've gotten with Tagoma, how much his personality changed from being tortured by Frieza. It really did. He, It almost felt like he became ruthless overnight, but basically being put into Frieza hell for four months, yeah, I think that would do that to you. I loved it. Yeah, yeah, I 100% agree. Uh, more or less, that's where the episode ends. I think we get a quick shot of Trunks and Goten's Trunks and Goten flying into the action, uh, and then it wraps up there. So, what did you think about that episode, Dayton? That episode, it was it was all right. There were a couple good high points, but it also felt a little draggy. And like you said, sometimes the animation wasn't really the best. So, as far as visually speaking. I rate it kind of poorly, but as far as some of the character development points and stuff like that, it was pretty good. So I think it kind of averages out to an average episode. Could be better, could be worse. But that's that's more or less where I stand on that one. Yeah, I mostly agree with you on that. I was a little bit bummed that we didn't get better fight sequences for our side characters. Because this is, I mean, especially for characters like master roshi or even sometimes tn like we don't really get to see those guys in action very often anymore no we really don't and we won't really get to see them in action a whole lot ever oh oh boy yeah like tn master roshi krillin honestly even sometimes piccolo at this point has been pretty hard sidelined so yeah i i have a comment about piccolo coming up here pretty soon so oh yeah (laughs) let's go ahead and uh let's wrap up this one and jump into episode 22 change an unexpected return his name is ginyu all right so that's what we're gonna get here Uh, some (laughs) ginyu action now this basically starts off with tagoma is kind of fighting all of our z fighters here uh and he's just putting the hurt on them i think he he rips off piccolo's arm hey yeah that's what i wanted to get to (laughs) (laughs) yeah did you have something to say about that part oh yeah that for some reason no one seems to lose arms except for piccolo so i'm wondering uh what's what's up with that does he get like weak arms or something or joints (laughs) like not eating calcium or something like that is that water diet making him soft and easy to pull apart what's what's (laughs) happening here yeah, it's that, that lack of eating anything besides water. <laughs> they, I think I put a note in here, too. My note says, Piccolo's intelligence here feels lacking, and his arm ripped off feels gimmicky. <laughs> it really does. And spoiler alert, this isn't going to be the first time Piccolo gets a limb ripped off in Super. So it's it's one of those things that happens so often now, I just don't care. Right, like... You see it the first few times or like, you know, when when his arm gets drained, when he fights imperfect cell. Yes. Uh, that, that's a good moment. That's a fun scene. But like you said, it's just happened so many times at this point and it's used like in this moment, it just doesn't feel impactful at all. No, it really doesn't. It really felt shoehorned in, I guess, just to show that. Well, it's kind of showing how strong the villain is, but it's a very right. cheap way of doing it because there's no actual repercussion to it. It's a it's a free pass as far as hurting people. Yeah, 100%. I agree. I mean, I I would love to see some more of, let's talk about the Saiyan Saga, Tien getting his arm just punched off. Yeah. Fabulous. Oh my Lord. When, when you see something happen to somebody like that, that permanent damage kind of scenario, you feel it. So I guess when you've, and 
I guess death has kind of gone the same way where it feels cheap now when someone dies just because you can wish them back. It feels cheap when you rip off one of Piccolo's limbs because you can just grow it back. It's, eh, it's not the same thing. It's hollow. It's empty calories. I mean, I think we'll have something to talk about that in just a minute about death being uh, not sticking. So. Oh, oh, foreshadow, foreshadowing. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. <laughs> so uh, shortly after that, uh, we get Tagama kind of beating up on the guys. We get Super Saiyan Gotenks flies in here and gives a headbutt to Tagama right in the nuts. Which made I me mean, laugh. I did chuckle. Yeah, like, it's funny. Super Saiyan Gotenks is probably strong enough to put up a fight against Tagoma. Um, and it's one way to get Tagoma off the scene for a minute. Uh, I mean, I, I think... will say, I was deeply disappointed that they bring Gotenks in, he headbutts Tagoma, and then they split. And that's the whole Gotenks scene. And I'm sitting here waiting for more because I love super ghost kamikaze attacks and all the weird crap that he's doing. And I wanted to see more, but they just said, hey, here he is. Oh, he's gone. That's all you're getting. Oh, what a tease. I really, I actually really enjoy Gotenks. I think that a lot of the fan base thinks that he's annoying. But I think I feel the same way that you do, that he has some of the most unique and interesting abilities in Dragon Ball. And Super just completely shits on him. Just does not give him any time to shine at all. Yeah. It's and I can see why people would be annoyed with Gotenks. Too much of him is definitely too much. But if you seize them on there, give me some fun attacks, give me some fun fights, and some creative thinking with abilities, I'm happy as a clam. That's all I need. Just give me a little bit of that. Just you know, what if a nine year old had the powers of Superman? Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I totally agree. But yeah, he basically splits into Goten and Trunks very, very quickly. And I like the scene following that, though, where Frieza not only recognizes Goten, or at least assumes that Goten is Goku's son because they look almost identical. Makes sense. Um, But also sees Trunks and Frieza, we didn't really talk about this, but Frieza's looking for both Goku for revenge as well as the Super Saiyan who cut him in half. That's right. Yep. I for- That slipped my mind. You're absolutely right. And I love that we get that little scene of Frieza recognizing Trunks. And he thinks that Kid Trunks here, uh, I think Frieza makes a comment that he thinks that Kid Trunks here is future Trunks's son. Because Frieza has no idea that a future warrior showed up and sliced him into a million bits. Yeah, 100%. And I think it's been, yeah, it's been about 15 years in universe time since Frieza was killed. So he, you know, it would make sense that that guy or teenager who killed him years ago would have a young son like that. That is true. I doubt Frieza had internet access or a newspaper while he was hanging out in that cocoon in hell. So I'm sure Frieza's a little out of date on what's going on in the universe. Yeah, you know, maybe his uh, cyborg parts gave him access to the internet while he was wrapped up in a cocoon. Who knows? Ooh, I don't know. The Wi-Fi signal's got to be terrible. <laughs> Not so hot in hell. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so. geez. So, uh, we can continue forward. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> moving on from that awful, awful pun. Uh, we get basically Frog Ginyu here showing up on the scene writing change now into the dirt and taking over Taguma's body. What did you think about this, Dayton? 
Okay, so I'm very torn on it because I actually love Captain Ginyu as a character. Me I too. loved him in DBZ. Me so too. I love I love getting me some Captain Ginyu, but at the same time, I liked having a new character in the show that actually they kind of started building up a backstory and making very interesting. And then suddenly you just basically by snapping your fingers, you take that away. So I, I like the idea of bringing Captain Ginyu back. I don't know if I like the way that they did it because they could have had another very interesting character. Yeah. Yeah. I, I very much agree with you. It, it feels strange. It feels like maybe they're just trying to make a forced connection to the old content. Yes. And <laughs> that's what it felt like to me. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, let's also talk about for a second, the fact that Frog Ginyu has been on the earth for 15 years. Why in the fuck is he just now taking over somebody else's body? That just, yeah. Huh? Well, you didn't have to bring that up. It wasn't as bad until you said that. (laughs) (laughs) I like, I, it can't, I can't wrap my mind around that. Like, why has he let himself stay in this frog body for that long? And just now decides to take over somebody else's body. He had so many options. He had so many things he could have done until now. I, yeah. I don't know. We could have had two very interesting characters, but instead we get a very big plot hole and we lose a good character we could have had going through, like continuing through the story. This felt like they took the worst of both worlds and stuck them together. I feel the same, which is really just a big bummer. Uh, Especially because but, it's Captain Ginyu. I love Captain Ginyu, and it just it feels like you didn't do him justice. I agree. We'll, we'll talk about that more in a second, too. Um, oh, boy. Yeah, we will. <laughs> so we, we get a little bit of Ginyu being a badass for a second, which is cool, and doing some cool poses, which is always fun. Uh, we get a little bit more of uh, Goku and Vegeta training in this kind of like hyperbolic time chamber dimension which i don't know to me it didn't feel necessary to really show that it's just a way to keep them out of the fight i guess yeah that's what it sounded like to me and i think they just wanted them to be doing more than just punching each other there so this was kind of their excuse and it's also another excuse for a callback to something that's been in dragon ball history this is basically a hyperbolic time chamber we know that cool like shout out to everybody who knows that yeah yeah exactly Uh, We come back to Earth with Gohan now finally powering up to Super Saiyan and being strong enough to beat up Taguma. Uh, It kind of culminates in Gohan beating Taguma, but then Frieza seeing that Super Saiyan form and losing his shit, which I like that part. I like that a lot, actually. I liked it a lot, too. I like seeing Frieza kind of overflow with emotion like that because this is something that's been part of Frieza since the beginning. I'm calm, but underneath that calm surface, there's just this whirlwind of emotion that can come erupting forward at any point. Yeah, yeah. I I like that about Frieza a lot, too, where he's, he's very much this almost like eloquent, uh, high-class emperor, but... Man, does he have a temper, and it can come out in the worst ways. I love it. I loved seeing it, and I love watching Frieza just be kind of a dirty, do whatever it takes to win, and um, I'm just the hubris on that person too while he's doing it. The Frieza will do anything to win, and then if I beat you, 
Well, it's because you were weak. It wasn't because I was dishonorable. <laughs> it wasn't because I was cheeky or lied. It's because you were stupid and you listened to me or you weren't paying attention. And that's why I won anything to win. Yeah. And to your point, Gohan is basically in a fight with Tagoma and he gets shot, I think, through the shoulder first by Frieza. Frieza basically just takes a sucker punch shot with a key blast at him. And Frieza uh, loves those little pinpoint blasts too, hitting like little points and trying not to kill people typically, but trying to torture them and make them have just a miserable existence. Yeah, we, I mean, we get, we literally get minutes here at the end of this episode of Frieza using his death beam and just blasting through Gohan's body and torturing him uh, and torturing him to the point that Gohan is on the ground with multiple wounds. And then Frieza is at a point where he gets ready to fire off a final blast to kill Gohan. And we get a scene of Piccolo at the very end of the episode, jumping in front of that blast and taking that blast for Gohan. What did you think about this Dayton? I, I saw this happen. And if, Death was more permanent. I probably would have felt some emotion, but it it felt like something Piccolo would do. But I don't the first time I watched it and the second time I watched it, I just I didn't buy into it until you let me know that people can't come back from the dead. It's I don't know. I wasn't sure if Piccolo was dead or not at the time, but it didn't really matter either way. Right. So for me, I don't like this scene. I like the fact that Piccolo is willing to sacrifice himself for Gohan. However, this basically takes Piccolo's sacrifice in the Saiyan saga when Nappa was going to murder a five-year-old Gohan. uh, And Piccolo jumped in front of that, took that blast for Gohan and died. It takes that scene and it tries to kind of replay that for the fans, kind of like tugging on your heartstrings with this old scene, this kind of nostalgia. Yeah. But it just... It doesn't do it as well. It doesn't. It feels a little bit more forced here, and we also, because Piccolo's not tied to the Dragon Balls anymore, because Dende's the uh, the protector or the guardian of Earth. I mean, we're not losing Dragon Balls in this scenario like we did in the Saiyan Saga either. No. It it kind of cheapens the effect, the sacrifice, and does. Also, I do feel like with the. Uh, on Namek, it was something that was built up over quite a few episodes, and there's a long journey leading up to that point. So there's already a lot invested into this. In this current incarnation, it felt like it was just kind of thrown in there. It was just, hey, Piccolo likes Gohan, remember? Look at his sacrifice. Okay, yeah, I guess. I, I kind of felt like there should have been a more meaningful buildup to this moment, but there really wasn't. It just kind of, it felt like it just kind of happened. Yeah, I agree. The The no buildup really kind of kills it for me, too. Um, but that, for the most part, finishes that episode. Did you have any other thoughts on that one? Not, I guess just kind of an overall summary. This was not really my favorite episode. It felt like they were trying to force a lot of characters and a lot of emotion that really wasn't there. And it just, it felt... I don't know. I don't know how to describe it other than it felt kind of like a a cheap bargain episode of interesting things. None of them were really that great, but they were there. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It it feels a lot of this feels like it's just cheap nostalgia throwbacks for me. And I'm a sucker for Dragon Ball nostalgia. Don't get me wrong, but 
they just weren't done well in this episode. Absolutely. I think there was a more elegant way to do a lot of these things and it just it felt forced down my throat and I wasn't I wasn't the biggest fan. This is probably one of my lower rated episodes in these series of episodes that have to do with the saga. Yeah, I would totally agree with you. So let's get off that episode and move on to episode 23. The Earth, Gohan, absolute peril. Hurry and get here, son Goku. So this basically starts us off at that same point where Piccolo, we, we confirm that Piccolo is dead here. He, he cannot take a sensu bean. Um, so at least there is a little bit of turmoil with that. Uh, but beyond that, we get, a I think, a long kind of fluff sequence. I think I even put in my notes that the start of this episode has a lot of fluff in it with Goku and Vegeta, Beerus, and Whis. Uh, yeah, I just have a quick note that there's a big chat party on Beerus's planet, but that's that's all I really put down. It didn't really seem like there was much meaningful stuff in there, but I also overlook so, that stuff sometimes. I I felt the same. It, so more or less the first, I don't know, eight minutes of this episode doesn't feel very relevant. Um, but we eventually get to Gohan gets back up and decides that what he's going to do is try to power up we eventually find out that what he's trying to do is give a energy beacon for his father, Goku, to hone in on to be able to instant transmission to Earth. And it, it works. The, uh, I think the, the middle of the episode, we basically get Goku and Vegeta instant transmissioning in to save Gohan. Uh, Goku knocks away Frieza's death beam. Yeah, um, after he shows up at the exact right time to knock away the death beam and save the day, they then discuss how Piccolo's death is actually meaningless because they have Namekian Dragon Balls. <laughs> so I actually thought that this was a mistake at first because I was like, why do they need the Namekian Dragon Balls? They can just use Earth's Dragon Balls because Piccolo is no longer connected to them, so his death doesn't you know, turn them into stone. But I forgot that... I, what I wasn't thinking about is the fact that uh, they just used the Dragon Balls to resurrect Frieza, so they have to wait a year before they can use the Dragon Balls again. Oh, I forgot about the cooldown in that ability. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that took me a second to kind of hash all that out in my head, because they don't really hit you in the face with that that info. I mean, that's that's old info that hasn't really been relevant in, I guess, a long time. It's also weird, because I feel like they use the Dragon Balls all the time. Like, <laughs> it's... Didn't they just summon Shenron on uh, the Princess Balma, and then not long later, they summoned uh, the dragon again? Oh, boy. That's actually a really good point. I don't know. I mean, honestly, there has to be a year between these two events for that to be the case. Or more than a year, because basically they summoned Shenron to figure out how to do the Super Saiyan God ritual, and then... Sorbet summoned Shenron after that to resurrect Frieza. And then there were four months of training. So there's got to be a year between those two events. Hopefully you would think so. I mean, it's their universe. You would hope that they would follow their rules, right? Right? The <laughs> You'd hope so. The only other thing that I could say about that is that sometimes, so like now Shenron can summon or can grant three wishes. They have said on occasion where, if Shenron is summoned and only grants one wish and then they don't use the other two, they can then like shorten the time span that the Dragon Balls aren't used. 
or they okay. can go grab them again. This feels like some weird, like loopholing the dragon sort of thing. I'm not sure how I feel. It's I feel like summoning Shenron shouldn't be like doing your taxes. Like it should just be. <laughs> this is the way it works. There's no wiggle room in here. It's it's been real wibbly wobbly. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, they give you something to think about. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, it's a little bit frustrating sometimes how they change how the Dragon Balls work. But regardless, yeah, well, let, uh, let's get off of that. I think we could probably uh, nitpick that until, well, until that horse is super duper dead. I'm sure it has been on the internet many times. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we basically get uh, Vegeta and Goku are here to save the day. And uh, I think we get a little bit of talking through here and Vegeta ends up killing Tagama Ginyu uh, real fast. Yeah, Captain Tagama pretty much was wiped out as with one blow, I'm pretty sure. And it's not even a... It's really poorly animated. It looks awful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, actually, um, I don't think it's in this episode. Actually, the next episode, too. These two episodes have some pretty rough animation, this one and the next one. But we... Yeah. I... You, you're just hoping that they're saving all the good stuff for the climax that's coming up here. So I just, I kind of suffer through it. These fights, let they left a lot to be desired. I was not really impressed with them. Yeah, I agree. I, and I I just have to point out that this is kind of what I was talking about, or and I think what we were both talking about with kind of Ginyu being done dirty is that he just gets blasted by Vegeta. It's not even well animated. And now he's just, dead like why did you even bring in you in here <laughs> why yeah this return was what 15 plus years in the making and then you just knock him off kind of unceremoniously just in one very poorly animated scene i i don't know what to expect because you bring back this awesome i think probably fan loved character and then you do him dirty like that and just throw him in a trash can i i wanted more if you're gonna bring back ginyu at least give me some good ginyu but no yeah. you took a loved old character and the startings of a really good new character, jam them together and then poorly animated them right out of the series. Yep. I agree. I was, I was a little bit bummed. Um, I, yeah, I rant I over. I, I could probably keep ranting <laughs> on that, but just yeah. do better. Look, come on guys do better. Yeah. Yeah. I feel the same. Um, but that leads us into kind of the meat and potatoes of this. The end of this episode wraps up as we get Frieza transforming from his base form into his final form and wiping out his army besides Sorbet. And uh, I think that that's where this one wraps up. Uh, so the just... only note I have at the end is that Goku claims that the fight with Frieza is his since Vegeta took Captain Ginyu. So we already know who's going to be fighting Frieza at the end of this episode. Yeah, yeah, and that's a good point. Um, so we'll... Did you have any other thoughts on that episode, Dayton? No, I'm done with that episode. It's d- <laughs> terrible. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Some of these episodes with this Frieza arc, we're not the biggest fans of, but uh, there are good points in here. Yeah, and I also feel like this is probably... This episode and the next episode feel like kind of the calm before the good, the better stuff anyway. Yeah, I would agree. So let's move on to episode 24, which is... Episode 24, Clash, Frieza versus Son Goku. This is the result of my training, explanation point. So it starts us off with base form Goku against final form Frieza. Uh, We're getting 
some action here now. Some of the stuff that we're kind of waiting to see. Uh, again, some of it's the animation is better. Uh, some of it's not the greatest, but some of it is better. Um, really, let's see. I'm looking at my notes here. Uh, oh, you know what? One thing that I wanted to bring up is that I personally like the tension in this fight, at least at this moment, more than the tension with Beerus and Goku, if only because the fight between Beerus and Goku to me feels more like a like a play fight than anything else. Whereas this feels, you can feel the animosity between Frieza and Goku. And, and, and I just, I like that. Frieza's here to murder people. Yeah, and we have a we already have a lot of history between these two characters, so there doesn't need to be a lot of introduction. These We know why these characters hate each other, we know why they're fighting, and we know what happens if Goku loses. Whereas with Beerus, it, I don't know, I was never worried that the Earth was going to be destroyed. Like, even the first time watching it through, I was looking at this and going, alright, well, this Beerus guy, he's not evil. He's right. just kind of reckless and wants to fight things, and Goku's won over way worse people in his history. So I'm not, I'm not worried about this guy. Frieza, yeah, Frieza uh, will try and win using the most nefarious tactics if it gets Frieza to win. And I really like that. You don't know what Frieza's going to do. Yeah, one hundred percent. A couple of things that I wanted to bring up just about some of the dialogue and exchanges here. There's a comment from Frieza that I really liked where he says training is meant for the monkey, not the master. <laughs> I love that line. It's so good. <laughs> that is, that is Frieza's hubris on full display. That is amazing. Yeah. And, Oh, you know what? I have a note here that I'll have to bring up later because I think it's in the next episode. Um, but there's another exchange in the fight where Frieza basically takes his fingers and stabs at Goku's eyes and Goku catches Frieza's hand and says, uh, like, admonishes Frieza for going after his eyes, which to me and to OG Dragon Ball fans out there is hilarious because one of Goku's attacks as a kid was paper, rock, scissors. And scissors was specifically meant for him to poke people's eyes out. <laughs> I mean, when you're young, you got to win any way you can, right? Apparently, I guess Goku's <laughs> more morally sound than he was as a kid. I don't I know. I mean, I don't know how much about that. He was definitely biting Frieza's tail and stuff like that. <laughs> so it wasn't exactly, he's, he, I don't know. He's not exactly uh, a high class citizen when it comes to fighting. Yeah, it, which is why that felt weird to me for him to say something about that, which is just <laughs> funny. I'm sorry, only children do that. Have you considered biting? <laughs> Let's make this a real uh, backyard brawl. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I absolutely love these two because they're they're such great foils for each other, and watching them fight is always good. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So we do get some good action in here. Uh, we eventually get to the point where Vegeta attacks Goku. Um, more or less, basically, that whole sequence is just Vegeta saying, "Hey, stop screwing around and get to the real fight." Um, did you have any other thoughts about that? Uh, I mean, my only thought is that both of you do this all the time. Why do you suddenly care right now? Yeah, it does seem a little bit strange. Um, I, I don't know. I didn't really like that sequence myself. Yeah, it felt really weird. Uh, I did think that Vegeta's long clap for Frieza was silly. It's awkward. <laughs> I, did, I didn't know what to think about it. 
there's too much Vegeta being the jokey, jokey guy that's been going around in Dragon Ball Super, and I just, I don't mind a little bit of it, but tone it down, pull it back, and if you're going to make him do this stuff, make it feel like something that Vegeta would do. Yes, yeah, I agree. Sometimes it just feels too out of character. Um, I do have a note in here. So some of the animation in this one is good, but there are definitely sequences where I'm like just taken out of it because the key blasts look terrible. Um, I, I put a note in here that some of the animation in here looks worse than the promo anime Dragon Ball Heroes. Oh, no. Which is, a, I feel bad saying it, but it's pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, in, in my notes, I have a little disclaimer. Some of the worst animation I've seen so far. Ugh. Some of these look really bad. Just, ugh, I didn't like it. And unfortunately, sometimes that overshadows the good animation when you've got yeah. sequences that look not so good. Yeah, yeah. A lot of times I'd rather be watching it and not be thinking about or even noticing the animation than you know, the inverse. Sometimes if I'm noticing it and it's that bad, it just kind of takes me out of the whole thing. Yeah, and especially the first time you notice it, now you're looking for it. You're kind of watching the episode a little less and looking for that bad animation you just saw, and then it sticks yeah. out like a sore thumb to you. Yeah, and there's a lot of it. Uh, eventually, in the fight, we get to Goku and Frieza stop messing around, and Goku starts to transform into his latest transformation the Super Saiyan Blue or Super Saiyan God, Super Saiyan. And what did you think about this, Dayton? I I don't know. I just don't care anymore. You're a different color. Neat. I learned something <laughs> different. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, Frieza even makes a comment about that, I think, in this episode or next, where he says, what is this, Super Saiyan with blue hair dye? <laughs> I mean, it's true. Like, I don't... I don't know how many times you can do a new transformation and have me still be impressed with it. Especially since we spent so long working our way up to the original Super Saiyan form. And then it seems like yeah. every dozen or two dozen episodes, there's a new form slapped on top of that. And then now Super Saiyan becomes less and less relevant to everything. And then the form that came after that is now irrelevant. And it's just, I feel like we build up to something and then kind of like a an expansion for an MMO. Everything you've done, cool. That's worthless because here's the new content. Everything before that is just worthless. Yeah, and and I I agree to some extent. I in the manga, they actually do a much better job a little bit later in the series of differentiating Super Saiyan God and Super Saiyan, where Super Saiyan God is actually a faster form, like a more agile form. So it actually still has application. There's still reasons to use that form instead of using Super Saiyan Blue. But in the anime, it's basically just Super Saiyan Blue is faster, stronger, better. Yeah, I mean, if if they would actually hammer home that point a little bit more, that there's a, there's a purpose to each one of these forms, it's not just a, a linear scale that one is strictly better than the other, then maybe I would appreciate it. But... You can't just go, here's a new form, and then give me no information about it other than it's really strong. Because I'm not sure, what am I supposed to think? All right, cool, now Super Saiyan 3 is dead. Like, long live yeah. Super Saiyan Blue. Or Super Saiyan God is dead. Long live Blue. Right, yeah, and that's true. And it it's kind of rough in this pacing, too, because we just got Super Saiyan God. We only saw Super Saiyan God for a single fight, and now it's more or less become irrelevant. 
Um, which yeah, is really a bummer. And so, as I was watching this show, and this is something that we'll probably talk about later on. Um, I assumed that Super Saiyan God was just kind of a, a stepping stone sort of thing, that that would be the first and last time we see it. That was the taste of the next level. Mm-hmm. And then Super Saiyan Blue was actually achieving that. Well, I guess later on, Goku can still go Super Saiyan God. So I still don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what to think. You throw all these forms at me and it's just, it just seems like it's the next level. It's the, another level. And right. I don't know, it kind of gets boring after a while. That's fair. I, I did want to talk about this in the fact that along the lines of what you're talking about, a lot of the fan base, I think, said that they didn't like the Super Saiyan Blue transformation because it just comes out of nowhere. They didn't feel like it was earned. I'm I'm a little bit torn on that. I think I actually feel a little bit different on that, if only because in Dragon Ball, we don't oftentimes get new techniques. So transformations to me and techniques they kind of fall into a similar category and so when i first saw the super saiyan blue transformation and it kind of came out of nowhere i was excited i was like oh cool you know he's he's got something new up his sleeve that he hasn't had before uh i'm excited to see what he's going to do with it but a lot of people think that transformation should be earned like super saiyan against frieza or super saiyan 2 against cell uh, and so like a lot of people don't like the Super Saiyan 3 transformation because it's earned off screen. Uh, which right. Is... Yeah, that makes sense. I can see it because I mean, you want to be there for the journey, right? That's why I'm watching this. Yeah. So I'm a little bit torn. Uh, I mean, if you compare it to things like like Yu Yu Hakusho, where they come out with new techniques all the time, and that's kind of the the exciting revelation is the new technique that they use. Um, Dragon Ball doesn't give you that very often. So I'm sometimes OK with them doing that with transformations instead. I don't know. And I think uh, the one thing I'd like to see Dragon Ball do a little bit more is more creative use of the current techniques. So one of the last big ones that stood out to me was the fight against Cell where Goku used the instant transmission to surprise Cell with the Kamehameha wave. Amazing. Because it's it's two techniques that we've already seen, and he blends them and pulls off just a freaking badass move. And it feels awesome because it... At no point do you think he shouldn't be able to do that. You go, no, he has both of those techniques. That was a great use of them. And I'd like to see more of that in the series. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to see that. The They're doing some of that in the manga now, which is really cool to see. Um, but for the most part, I I wanted to do a little deep dive on Super Saiyan Blue there. Uh, did you have anything else to say about that episode? Uh, I mean... The only thing my notes are Goku unveils Super Saiyan Blue, hooray for a new hair color, rip Super Saiyan God, and then, <laughs> I don't know, just this this episode, I really didn't like this episode. I thought the animation quality on it was really poor, and it was just kind of slapping each other around until they actually unveiled their forms. So this one, uh, it's it's a pass for me. I'm pretty much right there with you. I didn't like a lot of the animation. There are a couple sequences that are okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vegeta's sequence feels weird and forced. Yeah, it really uh, does. Almost like a way to insert Vegeta in there to, I guess, fill more airtime. I'm not. I'm not sure what was going on with that. Yeah, it just felt unnecessary. And even the Super Saiyan Blue transformation is, it's okay. That's about what I'll give it. Yeah, I mean, it's. When you have such a big buildup to something like Super Saiyan, and then this is just whipped out of nowhere after we just previously got another form that at least had a buildup to it, 
this is probably one of right. the worst form unveils I think that that they've done. Yeah, that's fair. I I think the only kind of saving grace is what we talked about is that tiny little sliver of a foreshadowing to it in the earlier episodes. But let's go ahead and move on to episode 25, which is... An all-out battle, the revenge of the Golden Frieza. So this basically starts us off with Super Saiyan Blue Goku, uh, and he's telling Frieza, hey, you know, I've shown you my hand, now show me yours. Whip out your power, Frieza, and let me feel it. Let me feel it. (laughs) (laughs) So... One of the things in this sequence that I did not like is that it's strange to me that both Frieza and the Z fighters are talking about how Frieza gets a glimpse at Goku's power in Super Saiyan Blue and Frieza's just not afraid. Like he's, he feels confident in whatever he has going on. But that is weird to me because Frieza could never sense key and that was important previously. Even if, though, let's say in his training, he learned how to sense key. Normal mortals cannot sense God key. We get that multiple times from the Z fighters that they can't sense Goku's key when he's a Super Saiyan God or when he's Super Saiyan Blue. So it makes no sense to me that Frieza can even size up Goku's power in this new form. That's true. And uh, in a lot of those training scenes, there's a big emphasis on not letting your key leak out. That was a big part of the training uh, with with Whis was to keep all right. that inside of you. And when they went to that hyperbolic time realm, that was a key. There is that that was the key. If your key is leaking mm-hmm. out, then you cannot move. You have to basically keep it all wrapped up inside of you. So he should have this form more or less mastered or mastered really well at concealing his energy and keeping it inside of him. So it should be. I agree with you. I don't think Frieza should have any idea how strong Goku is, but I suppose to kind of play the devil's advocate, uh, I don't think it mattered what Goku did. Frieza was going to think that Frieza was better and fight him anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and that's a good point. I I think I would have been totally okay with that if there hadn't been the dialogue that people were like, you know, Frieza is getting a sense for what Goku has to offer here in terms of power. I'm like, that doesn't make sense. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree with you. But at the same time, I don't think Frieza cared. Frieza is, right. I'm better than you. You are just a monk. You are an ant. You are less than an ant. You are the things that ants look at and disgust. That's what I think of you. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think that's a good point uh, towards Frieza's character, and he probably would have acted that way regardless of what their <laughs> levels of power were. <laughs> but this is another example of, here's the easy way to do it, and for some reason you did it this way, which wa- raises eyebrows. Yeah, it almost just feels to me like somebody forgot that that was a thing. <laughs> Whoops. Which is, yeah, <laughs> just feels like a little, I don't know, forgetful plot hole there, but... You know, regardless, we end up getting Golden Frieza. Uh, what did you think about the transformation for Golden Frieza? Did you have any thoughts about that? I don't. It's another form. I don't care anymore. Like, you guys turn whatever colors you are, and then hopefully it's just a, a pretty animated fight sequence, and I can enjoy that. Yeah, yeah, I feel you there. One of the things that I think is super interesting about Golden Frieza is that Super Saiyan is kind of like a golden form, right? We've even heard people called like Gohan when he turned Super Saiyan and the Buu Saga was called the Golden Warrior. So Goku, when he fought Frieza, turned to the Super Saiyan golden form. 
and now has moved far beyond that to a Super Saiyan blue form, whereas Frieza's new form is a gold form, which just that kind of parallel there to me where like Frieza's just kind of behind him is kind of funny to me. But I mean, Frieza's golden form is as strong as Goku's, you know, 11th form. So I think that tells you just how much like room to grow Frieza probably has. Yeah. I mean, Frieza's only trained for four months. Imagine if Frieza trained for four years where Frieza would be. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. So we basically end up getting the, the actual fight between golden Frieza and super Saiyan blue Goku. And uh, I mean, this, I think this episode has a few fight sequences that look better to me they're not great but they're better it seems from what i remember watching it seemed like it was kind of 50 50 it looked like there were some i guess filler cut sequences and then there were some pretty decently animated ones so it was kind of spread out throughout the episode where there there were some weighty hits and exchanges but there were also some terrible looking key blasts there were some pretty bad key blasts unfortunately (laughs) uh and in in the middle of this exchange we get we get a shot of Beerus and Weiss are making their way to earth and they run into Champa and Vados which we've we've only seen them very briefly in one of the previous episodes um but we kind of get the this dialogue exchange where we I think we learn here that Champa is the lord of destruction for universe 6 and uh, I think they might reveal here that Champa is Beerus's brother, but I can't quite remember. I don't remember. Uh, I do remember that he's looking for something, and he's found five out of seven of them. Hint, hint. Yeah, yeah. A little bit of a easy hint there. Yeah, but they Beerus and Champa run into each other, and of course they don't get along at all. And I actually I find their relationship to be hilarious. I do love Beerus and Champa together. I think it's great. I agree. It is fun. It it's uh, a little bit of an odd spot to put in here, but they don't dwell on it too long, which is good. Um, and it, I mean, it makes sense with Beerus and Weiss kind of traveling through space to put it here, I suppose. But uh, it was, I think, just a few minutes before they were going to make it to Earth when they ran into them. And when Champa kind of blasts back off, Beers makes a note. He's like, he's up to no good. Remember like, to look into that, because I don't trust that guy. Yeah, that is fun. Uh, we get to basically learning about their relationship as a result, which is, you know, just good characterization. And you're right. If they would have spent too much time on this, it would have felt like it broke up the pacing too much or really out of place, but it's, it's only like a couple minute quick sequence. They run into each other. They exchange their words. Beerus expresses his thoughts and then bam, they're back off to wherever they're going. Yeah. It's pretty short, fortunately. So then it kind of brings us back into the fight. Now we do get at this point, we get Beerus and Weiss uh, showing up on earth and where I said before, I like the tension in the fight between Frieza and Goku more than Beerus and Goku. This moment is kind of what takes the tension out of the fight for me. And just the fact that we basically got Beerus and Whis, who are both stronger than Frieza, could both take Frieza out if they decided to. And also, Whis has ways to save the day that we'll see here shortly. <laughs> 
Yeah, as soon as they show up, you're you're right. The the wind kind of leaves the sails. I now know that nothing bad will happen to Earth because I don't know. God is here, so we're good. <laughs> yeah, it, it ruins the tension for me just a little bit. Honestly, I wish that they would have left Beerus and Weiss back on their own planet, and I would have enjoyed this sequence much more. Or maybe even do uh, they're watching in the wings but haven't revealed themselves sort of thing. Don't don't clue me in on it yet. Yeah, that would have been fine. I mean, they could have even used Champa to, you know, waylay them and keep them from the fight. I would have been fine with that, too. That's true. Yeah, you're right, though. The second they show up, you you know nothing bad is going to happen. It's, yeah, exactly. It's kind of like that, what was it? There's that one piece of Dragon Ball media that shows, uh, what is it? Vegeta and Goku's like like grand offspring or whatever it is and they're fighting in an arena and it takes place like 11 years into the future or something like that so you know nothing bad's going to happen up until that point. Yeah, yeah, you're I think you're talking about the end of Z with Goku Jr and Vegeta Jr. That's um, what it was, yeah. Yeah, that I mean Super has a lot of problems because of that sequence, but that's something we'll cover on another time. <laughs> That's true. All right. I might be stepping outside the ring here a little bit. All right. So getting back into the episode, we're getting close to the tail end here where I think Frieza, for the most part, Frieza's dominating this fight. Uh, really, the, the end of the episode just ends with Frieza kind of pummeling Goku into the ground, and then we kind of move on to the next episode. So before getting on to episode 26, do you have anything else about that episode, Dayton? Uh, I guess my my full thoughts on it are it was all right. I don't really. I mean, there's not a lot of big information drops or anything like that. Uh, Beers and we show up. And we've got the quick run in with Champa, but it's. I mean, it's an okay episode. There's some decently animated sequences. There's also some not so great animated ones, but I. Yeah. I mean, it's adequate. I'm not. I'm not upset with it. I think it serves. I, I don't know. I guess somewhat of a purpose. It. Kind of feels drawn out, though, is probably my biggest criticism. I would agree. I I mean, it. some of it is the the major meat of the fight with Goku and Frieza, and some of those sequences are not great. Some of them are okay. Uh, but yeah, it, it does. The pacing doesn't feel great. Kind of similar to the, the Beerus arc. Full agree. Um, but let's go ahead and move on to episode 26. Episode 26, A Chance of Victory in a Pinch. It is time for a counterattack, Son Goku. So this starts off with more of the fight. It's more of Frieza just kind of beating the snot out of Goku for the most part. Uh, We eventually get, I think Vegeta says something about, you know, Goku, have you not noticed yet? Kind of cluing Goku into what's going on with Frieza and his power. And eventually we get Frieza kind of running low on energy. Uh, it takes us a little while to get there. The episode has a lot of a lot of talking, a lot of fighting, which is fine. Um, I mean, you got to have your fight episodes, right? And that's pretty much what this one was, was just them kind of beating each other around a lot. And then Goku kind of playing the long game. Right, Exactly. And we eventually get to the point where Frieza is completely low on energy. He goes to punch Goku and Goku just totally no sells it, just takes a punch right to the face and it does nothing seemingly. Yeah. And I think at this point, 
Frieza is starting to realize that this battle is over. And uh, I believe after getting knocked around a little bit, ends up kind of on the ground and notices that he still has a henchman kind of hanging around nearby. He does. And he he actually says something to Sorbet, something along the lines of, you know what to do. And I'm, I'm kind of drawing from the the Resurrection F movie here, but I don't really like the way that it plays out in the anime. Uh, it feels, it's just more subtle in the movie, I'll say that, but we'll we'll get to that in the, the future. Yeah, it actually happens pretty quick where uh, Frieza kind of, you know, wink, wink, do this, and then Frieza gets knocked around and is freaking out, and then Goku says, you know, this fight is over and goes back down into normal form. Right. And at around that point, uh, the henchman firing his trusty ring laser shoots Goku from behind, catching him off guard, kind of like Whis told him to not be. Yeah. And there is another little detail that I do kind of want to compare to the movie here in that a lot of people had complaints about the movie where this happens, the same sequence of events, but uh, Goku's still in his Super Saiyan blue form when he gets shot, whereas in the anime, he's in his base form, which makes a little bit more sense for him to be in his base form when he gets shot with the ray gun, uh, just because it, I mean, he's not on guard at that moment, right? I'll I'll have to look back. Doesn't Goku do something similar to Frieza on Namek? where he kind of lowers his guard like that and says this battle's over and kind of exhales and then goes to fly away. Did he drop from Super Saiyan form into normal form when that happened? He did. That's a good point, actually. That's a good uh, comparison where he he drops to his normal form. You actually actively see his hair change and you see his body even shrink in that scene. And when he goes to fly away, that's when Frieza throws the his version of the Destructo Disc at Goku and cuts his face um, and then Goku goes back Super Saiyan. That's right. So that's another one of those. We're trying to draw parallels. Remember Frieza? Remember all the stuff that happened on Namek? We're doing it again. Yeah, that's a good catch. I actually didn't catch that parallel, but that's a that's a good one. Um, so we eventually get the scene where Sorbet shoots Goku through the torso uh, with his little ray gun, which, again, we got the little foreshadowing earlier with the peel-off gang and the ray gun, which was good. Uh it ends basically this episode wraps up with Goku on the ground, hole in his chest, and Frieza stomping on his chest and just torturing him. Uh, at which point Vegeta cuts in with a key blast, just kind of getting Frieza away from Goku. And that's kind of where this whole episode wraps up. There's it's mostly fighting in this one, which is totally fine. I mean, I was entertained by it. I actually. I don't like too much of these kinds of episodes, but I like it here. Sometimes I just want to sit around and watch a couple of badass fighters just kind of kick each other's ass. And I, It wasn't the best animated episode, but it was a good episode, I think. Yeah, and I, I feel the same way. I mean, I feel like most people are watching Dragon Ball for the fighting, let's be real here. But uh, I think I would be a little bit... I would like this episode more if the animation were better, because... If I'm going to watch fighting, I want it to be well animated. Oh, so. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's that's a, probably the biggest complaint I have of the episode. And I I like that Frieza's playing dirty and saying, hey, henchman, shoot him when he's not looking. That is a very Frieza thing to do, and I like it. It also shows, um, I guess, how important it is for them to keep, I guess, their guard up and the fact that they're still just, they're still human bodies. 
they can be shot with a gun and killed if they're not ready and prepared for it. I like that. Yeah, and I think you're kind of touching on that. I was going to ask, actually. So I think a lot of the fan base, myself included, when this first came out, uh, especially in movie form, and Goku basically got downed by a little ray gun, people were upset. Like, people were like, that doesn't make any sense. Like, there's nothing in previous story arcs that kind of alludes to that being able to happen to someone as strong as Goku. I think um, that that's fair. I do think though that a lot of that power is a lot of that power comes from focusing on like your your body's energy and making sure that your guards are up. So when he gets hit in like say the body with a a big old key blast from Frieza, it's because he was focusing his defenses there. He was ready for it and that's why he's not blown away sort of thing. It's why he can take, I guess, more damage as Super Saiyan Blue than he can as normal uh, form Goku. Because there's no point in powering up if you can't take any more damage, I guess. Yeah, and I could see that. I think I feel differently about it now. I think, uh, to add to that, I even think that someone who has such a low fighting power as Sorbet is almost going to be completely off of Goku's radar uh, and even like the fact that he's shooting a ray gun, it's not a key blast. It's not going to be energy that he's going to sense necessarily either. Yeah, so that's true. I think I'm I'm okay with it happening now. I was a little bit annoyed with it when I first saw that, but I think the more that I think about it, I actually kind of like it, especially because in the anime in particular, they they foreshadow the fact that Goku lets his guard down a lot. So I I do like it because they foreshadow it. Um. If he was still in Super Saiyan Blue form, maybe there's an argument there because he's, you know, he's got all of his power summoned forth. That little ray gun thing shouldn't be able to hurt him. But the fact that he went back down to normal form, like his his defenses were 100% down and they kind of go out of the way to show you that. I'm okay with it. I really am. Yeah. Yeah, I think I agree with you at this point. All right. And I think that mostly wraps up that episode. Uh, let's go ahead and move on to episode 27. I think this is our last episode. It is the last Freeze episode. Arc. And oh my God, there's a lot that happens in it. <laughs> it's pretty jam-packed. Yeah. All right. So episode 27, The Earth Explodes, The Deciding Kamehameha. Oh my God, that title right on the money. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes, like I said, they give away a little bit too much in those titles, but uh we we kind of get a little bit of a recap of Frieza torturing Goku and Vegeta saving him. I did want to make a quick note about I love Sean Schemmel's delivery for the pained screams. It's really good. It's excruciating. It's it's fantastic. It's almost hard to listen to in that it's just it, it kind of gives me chills. Um, he did a really good job. I just imagine him there in the recording booth with just like a butter knife and he's just sticking it into his stomach and that's how he does it. <laughs> I hope there's a video of that on YouTube somewhere. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Not recommended for viewers at home. <laughs> but uh, I, I think I've mentioned on this podcast before that Vegeta is one of my favorite characters. So I both love and hate this episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a very bittersweet kind of episode, isn't it? Yeah. So we basically get Vegeta stepping in for Goku. Uh, Vegeta starts off by kicking Goku to his friends where Frieza tries to blast Goku out of the air and Vegeta teleports there and knocks the key blast out of the way. So Vegeta just being a total 
just a badass, but also, you know, typical Vegeta, not really caring about Goku's well-being all that much. Oh, God, no. And if anything, Vegeta enjoyed it because he's kind of putting Goku in his place. Like, hey, remember, I'm in charge. <laughs> I love it. It's very Vegeta. This is this is the Vegeta that I know and love. Uh, and we we get some banter between Frieza and Vegeta because at this point, Frieza thinks that Vegeta is nothing to him. Uh, Frieza's basically like talking down to Vegeta, telling him like, you know, what the hell are you going to do of all people? You're not even worth my time. How dare you speak to me? Yeah, I love this. I love this exchange. And it eventually gets to the point where Vegeta's just done with Frieza's bullshit and Vegeta transforms into Super Saiyan Blue, which is awesome. I love it. I mean, at that point, you Frieza's got to be just pooping his britches. Like it's, I could barely <laughs> deal with one, and now there's another one. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, yeah, and Frieza's already pretty beat up at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, so the fight sequences here, these are some of the best in this whole arc. These are some of the best fight sequences, in my opinion. I definitely agree. This is this is where you can tell a lot of the budget went into because this is one of the best animated episodes. Actually, everything in this episode is well animated. Not just the fight sequences, but there's a lot that happens and all of it looks great. Yeah, I agree. And God damn it, Vegeta fucking deserves it. <laughs> <laughs> right? He finally gets the budget. Yeah. But uh, there's, I mean, there's one sequence that I wanted to bring up in particular where, I mean, Vegeta starts off by walking through Frieza's key blast and Vegeta's just knocking them out of the way. Uh, Frieza eventually goes and tries to kick Vegeta across the head and Vegeta just punches him right in the knee mm. and then punches him in the face and bounces his head off of the ground. And I love that sequence. It's super cathartic. And man, does it feel good to see Vegeta do that. And like, this has been a long time coming for Vegeta. This is kind of a, kind of a, I guess, vengeance that he's probably been thirsting for for a long time because Frieza took everything from Vegeta. 100%. I mean, Frieza blew up his planet, killed his father and the rest of his family, and eventually killed him on Namek. And uh, it's this is great. But uh, we eventually get, we get through Vegeta just kind of pummeling Frieza, and it gets to a point where Frieza drops his golden form. Yeah, and this was something that we've been building up to for a minute. Uh, with all the energy that that form re- required and Frieza being unable to really do what it takes to keep that form going, it was only a matter of time before Frieza fell out of it. And at that point, you know the battle's done and Frieza starts just melting down. Yeah, which is great. It's This is, you know, very... Frieza as well. This is a very big part of his character. We've seen this happen when he fought Goku in Super Saiyan where Frieza was just kind of freaking out and losing his mind that somebody was stronger than him. So I I like this a lot. I love watching Frieza be emotional. It is the greatest thing ever. Yeah. And I I honestly forget who the voice actor is in this sequence. Um, I, I can't remember if it's Chris Ayers or not. But Whoever it is in this sequence, I know Frieza's voice actor has changed a lot in the English dub. He does a fantastic job as well here, too. So uh, after realizing that uh, the battle is unwinnable, uh, Frieza decides to go with option B, which is if I can't beat you, I'll take your planet from you. And the first time I saw this, this actually caught me off guard, even after reading the name of the episode. 
Frieza yeah. just as Vegeta stands there with the final key blast in his hand, getting ready for the execution. Frieza slams his hands onto the planet and starts just firing key into it. And you see just, I guess, earthquakes starting to open up and the planet starts being torn apart. Yeah, this is great. This is, again, another nod back to a sequence on the on planet Namek where Frieza is confronted with Super Saiyan Goku and Frieza tries to blow up the planet. But uh, this time he actually does it successfully in one go. <laughs> yeah, the the planet is torn apart. And after a really well animated explosion sequence, mind you, I love the way they mm-hmm. did this. We're, we're left with a floating uh, Beerus and Whis and the kind of non-combatants all floating in space amongst the debris of the now departed Earth. And... Goku is standing there and he's just he's losing his mind and everyone's reminiscing about all their lost uh, loved ones and it's kind of a it's a very somber scene. It is. They even as the earth is exploding they give us little snippets, little shots of all of their family members who die. Uh, we got like Videl and Pan, 18 and Marin, Chi Chi, Satan and Boo, uh, the Briefs, uh, Goten and Trunks, all of them get killed in this sequence which is A plus. I like that a lot. Yeah, they definitely, this is, this actually kind of tugged at those heartstrings, I think, a little bit more meaningfully than, like, the Piccolo sacrifice. This was something where, after it happened, you're kind of sitting there and you're going, "Uh, what the hell just happened? But, uh, yeah, don't worry, because we've got God on our side, am I right? (laughs) And we've, at the very least, they did foreshadow this, but now we're going to get a do-over, like we talked about (laughs) in one of those episodes. Uh, nothing matters. <laughs> <laughs> so you thought the Dragon Balls were a good reset button. Well, let's talk about Reese's three-minute rewind. <laughs> oh, boy. So at this point, Weiss begins explaining that he's able to actually turn back time, but he can only turn back time up to three minutes. And he begins explaining to Goku, I can only do this once, and there's not going to be another do-over after this. So are you prepared to do what you have to do when I make this decision? Because whatever happens next is permanent. And Goku knows what he has to do, and everyone agrees to it. And Whis begins turning back the clock to moments before Frieza blows up the planet. Yeah, and we get Goku charging up a Kamehameha as Vegeta is getting ready to finish off Frieza, and we know that Frieza is about to blow up the planet. (laughs) And Goku yells for Vegeta to get out of the way as Goku blasts Frieza into oblivion and sends him back to Hiffle. Which, it's always... I don't know, I think, has Goku... How many villains has Goku, like, actually killed? That's a good point. It's it's a pretty small number. He's killed uh gosh, he's killed King Piccolo. He's killed um I think it's Yakan, which is one of Boo's henchmen. Uh he's killed Kid Boo. It's it's a really small number. Like I it's went probably from less Dragon than Ball 10, to, right? Yeah, maybe a dozen. It's, yeah, it's, it's not small. that many. So whenever whenever you see Goku actually kill somebody, it's always it, it kind of hits, you know, when you actually see him kill somebody because it's kind of against his code, his nature. So you don't expect it. But at the same time, I hope it's kind of a growth moment for Goku because 
you you get to see what happens when you when you offer somebody too much i guess freedom you allow them too much because you've got to be able to be able to defend your family and i guess compromise on your on your morals a little bit i don't know it's kind of a a tough decision because you can't you can't just convert everybody to your side yeah yeah he's he's too forgiving and i think Weiss and beerus are both trying to get that through his thick skull because he's endangering his friends and family over and over and over. Yeah. It's the, I guess the, a better way to put it is you've got to actually think about who you're saving. Cause some people are unsavable and people are going to get hurt. If you just, if you keep going down this road and hopefully this was the ultimate example. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean the, the planet he's been trying to defend for decades got, completely destroyed which is the first time it's ever happened uh besides actually maybe besides boo um but beyond that yeah that's it's a big deal yeah it was it was definitely kind of a whole surreal sequence to see not only the earth get destroyed but also goku kill frieza that's those are two big major events and of course they were animated well so that also helped so i liked watching all of it Right. Now, let's get to, I mean, this This is basically the reason why I hate this episode, is mostly because Vegeta got screwed out of the win. Uh, I know! <laughs> I, it frustrates me to no end. Like, if there were any time to give Vegeta a win, it's against Frieza, of all people. <laughs> and it would have been, it basically would have been for free, too. A free win for Vegeta. No strings attached. Like, he gets to beat Frieza. Vegeta loves it. All the fans love it. And nothing of value is really lost at the end of the day. So, heck yeah. Everyone gets their win. But nope, we got to give it to Goku. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I get it. If If they gave Vegeta the win... They wouldn't have their twists and turns. They wouldn't have the planet being destroyed. But God damn it, does Vegeta deserve a, deserve a win for just once? One, just one. I get that Frieza <laughs> was already beaten, but we brought him back. So just give him the leftovers, man. He's not asking for a lot. Right. Like like you said earlier, Frieza's taken everything from Vegeta. This is the one time that Vegeta should be able to kill the bad guy. But hey, uh, don't worry. Um, as soon as they get over that, apparently, just kind of off screen, Goku just teleports to Namek and wishes back Piccolo. So there's no there's no drama or stress around that. It's just as easy <laughs> as just uh, we'll bring him back with the Dragon Balls. No worry. I kind of forgot that. It is always interesting to me that the Namekian Dragon Balls and the the Namekians are always just like. Yeah, sure. Use our Dragon Balls. We're not using them for anything. <laughs> well, the Namekians probably actually use them when they like really need something. Whereas like Earthlings would probably grab them and wish for I don't know ice cream and a million zenny. So there's <laughs> one one set is being used way more than the other. One day we'll get the Dragon Ball GT saga of the negative aura of the Dragon Balls and then them breaking and have some freaking consequences. Yeah, just break. Just, the Dragon Balls broke. Can't use them anymore. <laughs> but that kind of takes us into the the wrap up for this arc in this episode uh basically that it shows uh goku kind of explains to vegeta why he stole the win from him uh we get to see gohan with videl and pan and we get to see basically the whole cast of characters just kind of eating and celebrating 
Yeah, uh, Bulma has a big old buffet party thing for Beerus and Weiss, and uh, Mr. Satan shows up with his Mr. Satan brownies.tm and just serves those to everybody. <laughs> I made a note about that, too. I was like, <laughs> Mr. Satan brownies, question mark? <laughs> I was like, what's in the brownies, Mr. Satan? <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, it made me laugh. I'm not going to lie. I was just, I, I got to bring it up. I don't know, man. Uh, I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> um, after the brownie party, uh, Gohan asks Piccolo to train him again, which makes sense because Gohan, I think, realizes that, you know, dad's not always going to be around, which it only took him his whole life to figure that out. But yeah, he's he's got to get to training. So I'm not sure what Piccolo's going to teach him, but I guess it's kind of a throwback. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it's even though Gohan's stronger than Piccolo, uh, Piccolo is considered like the strategist and Piccolo's, you know, he'd be a great training or sparring partner at the very least. That is true. You could really go ham on him because he can just grow his arms back and stuff. So it's <laughs> really great. Rip him to pieces. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's a good little sequence. Uh, I mean, I, I know a lot of people are upset with the fact that Gohan is kind of taking the back seat in Super, which is a bummer. But uh, I like that he he has a reason. He's like, you know, I need to protect my family. And that's why I need to get stronger. Well, I think uh, I think the Frieza saga gave a lot of the the old Z fighters some reasons to start training again. I think that was a really important thing it did do because it got Krillin back into the fight. It's getting Gohan back into the fight. I assume it's also getting um, uh, Piccolo back into the fight. So it's there's a lot going on with it. Yeah, yeah, and that's a good point. There was one other note that I wanted to point out in the kind of aftermath here where. They show Goten and Trunks, and they're talking about, man, we would have stuck it to Frieza. And Kid Trunks says, yeah, next time I see him, I'm going to slice him a new one. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. And Goku and the rest of the Z fighters kind of give him a funny look, and he's like, what? (laughs) Oh, it's so good. Now that's some foreshadowing. Yeah. (laughs) Some uh, uh, pre-shadowing? I don't know. (laughs) I guess depending on how you look. I don't know, man. (laughs) <laughs> it's time, time travel. You don't even try to understand it. <laughs> but I thought that was pretty funny. Uh, but more or less, that that wraps up this arc. I think the very last scene that we get is showing Frieza back wrapped up in his cocoon in his wonderful, happy Teletubby hell. Oh, my God. It makes me so happy. I love Frieza. I love Mad Frieza. Just give me more of it. Yeah. Yeah, it is fantastic. Uh, did you have any other thoughts on that episode? Uh, no, I think that, I think we really well discussed that episode in a lot of detail there. So I think that's everything for me. Okay. I I think beyond that, did you have anything to say about the arc for the Golden Frieza arc as a whole? I think it wraps up pretty nicely. It drags a little bit in some spots and there's some spotty animation, but overall it's a great arc and we get Frieza. So I'm, I'm pretty happy with it. I love seeing Frieza. Yeah, yeah. I honestly, Frieza's probably my favorite Dragon Ball villain. And I think there are a number of people who don't really like this arc or even this movie. Um, and I I can understand their reasons why. Uh, there are problems with it, like the, the tension because of Beerus and Whis being present definitely removes some of that tension. Uh, I think some people feel like it's it's just a fight and you know some of the the story is not really good i'm not sure that i agree with that because i like the dynamic that we have between goku and frieza and i like the 
I like the fact that Freeze is coming back for revenge. I think there's a lot of history there. Um, I mean, it's not it's not exactly groundbreaking as far as Dragon Ball. We're digging up an old character and we're kind of rekindling some of those old fires. And it's not it's not the most amazing story arc I've seen in Dragon Ball, but it's not bad. It's a fun little watch, and I don't I don't take it too too seriously. I just have fun with it, and with that, I think I I walked in with the right mentality and just kind of enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, and I could see that too. That's I think that that's the best way to absorb this content. And there's definitely, you know, other problems like Ginyu and whatnot too. But despite that, it's it's a fun watch. I like seeing Vegeta beat the snot out of Frieza. Um, I think it, it's it could have been done better in the anime. We'll kind of touch on that next time when we get to watch the movie. Oh yeah, I'm I'm excited for that, especially after the last one. <laughs> but uh yeah, I think for the most part that pretty much wraps up. So I think uh next time, like I said, we're going to be we're going to be covering the Resurrection F movie. Um, we'll be doing a comparison of the movie and the arc in the anime, and this is actually going to be Dayton's first time watching the Res F movie. So. I'm excited. The bar's been set high. I hope it reaches it. <laughs> so I'm excited to see what Dayton thinks of it. I'm I'm a big fan of it. Uh, I think it. Well, we'll we'll save my opinions for next time, and you guys can kind of join us for that. So. Uh, This has been our discussion of Dragon Ball. This is your host, Todd and Dayton. Dayton. (laughs) It got you. There it is. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Instant Transmission, everybody. Uh, To all our fellow Dragon Ball fans out there, stay safe and remember to keep rocking the dragon.